ladies and gentlemen, we are back with what is now our third episode of the new year, no longer our second after our uh, small tribute podcast that we wanted to do for, for of course, the now late Kobe Bryant. Um, and so we wanted to get back to you guys with a little bit more European soccer content, as we usually do, talking a little Spain, talking a little England, and the rest of Europe. But Rian, we're going to start off, I guess, in Spain. But before we do that, how's how's your day? Tell me about how your day was. I know how your weekend went, but how was your day? Well, my day it was good. It's um, pretty pretty slow at work this week, um, just because my bosses, most of my bosses are gone for uh, the week, so it's a lot of keeping myself busy and stuff, which is actually. <laughs> more boring than you than you would think really um i just spent a lot of time like just with my headphones in and just in an in an excel sheet for which actually is usually how most of my days go but like without talking to people for most of the day was the difference but but yeah i was gonna say yeah sounds sounds like a great day (laughs) no no i mean overall overall good because i i um, got to leave work a little early and then, and, um, which is great because I go to get my haircut in Queens and that's like an hour away from, from, uh, my office, my actual like apartment. So yeah, being able to get out of there at like five on the dot today made things so much easier. Yeah, that's ideal. I'm not going to lie. Having a nine to five gig is uh one of those things that you end up cherishing later down the line but hopefully that continues and we're not inundated with work because i think that's going to happen pretty soon uh honestly but with that let's talk about something that takes our mind off work something that we all know and love well i i don't know how if i, I think love is a strong word right now i'm always tested by this but rian what's uh what's going on in in my beloved city and for my beloved team what uh what is what is going on <laughs> <laughs> well um like i said before you got you've gotten exactly what you wanted here you got <laughs> you got your the manager that you that you wanted right that one that just um unequivocally loves the club and um loves possession even more than the last couple managers um and you know i I, like i said to you over the weekend i love it when uh someone gets a job just because they speak well about the club so uh you're you're getting what you asked for i think um okay i didn't 82 percent possession you actually broke a record this weekend i mean this is just you, you got pep again, right? That's what I what I took from this. <laughs> okay, so let's let's start with a couple things. I did get what I want in the sense that I believe Kike Setien is the type of manager that I would want to have around my team. He's disciplined. He has a structure. He has a very very clear idea. Believe in it or not, it's someone with direction and. A lot of people have been talking about possession and, oh, what a great number, the Pep days, etc. There's one key thing that I think a lot of people forget when it comes to Pep. And when it comes to possession, he's always said that the purpose of just keeping possession for the sake of keeping possession is absolutely useless. And this, I think, 
in the last couple of games that we've seen, well, the only games that we've seen really under Setien have kind of proven that in a way, in that if you're not creating chances and you're not creating good chances, then you're running into a problem. But I do want to point out that over the weekend during the Valencia game, which of course Barcelona lost at Mestalla 2-0, the XG, and Rian, I know you love your stats, but the XG from this game, compared to the last two games in which Barcelona have gone to Mestalla, was significantly higher than it was um, in the last two seasons under Valverde. So that, to me, at least seems as though the team is headed in the right direction, right? It's small things like that. And we've only seen three games, one of which was a cup game, um, under Setien, I think for someone who's inherit- inheriting a team that's wait, wait, wait. What? If I remember correctly, <laughs> um, did he or did he not? And by he, I mean Lionel Messi. Did he not take eleven shots this weekend? He did, and I'm I'm really concerned as to where you're going with this. Um, I but I'm just saying he took eleven of the fourteen shots. Can you tell me yes. uh, <laughs> he accounts for, uh, let's see here, Ooh, just about 90% of the expected goals from this game. So tell me how that's any different from the last 18 months. Well, the last 18 months would have seen him take maybe two shots, and that might have been all the shots for the entire game versus 11 shots, which is obviously significantly more and a lot more contribution from the team around him rather than just the focus on an individual. At the end of the day, okay, any team is going to rely on Lionel Messi when it comes to having him on the team, right? He is the best player of all time and the best player in the world right now. It's hard to not rely on the best player. But when you're playing... Wait, like wait, wait, like, wait. But this is literally what, just, what happened the last two seasons. All they did was rely on him. It was the only reason that... Pretty much the reason that they even won the leagues. And um, as I said on Twitter, it's the only reason they're not Manchester United is because of yes. Like, how is this any different? How, how are you defending the fact that he was the only person taking shots in this game? Like, like no, Griezmann didn't take a single shot. Yeah, and that's something that is definitely the a problem. Pointless, 100, 120 million pounds lining, uh, maybe behind Usmani Dembele. It, it took <laughs> oh zero God. shots in this game. Dude, I told you, he's the world's best left bet. No, no, I'm kidding. But like in reality, having 11 shots is a product of the team playing better behind you, right? It, it's not... It's not on a whim that you come up with 11 shots and pull it out of your ass. Granted, if there's one person that could do that, it would be messy. I watched this last year for Chelsea. What are you talking about? I watched and has I take all of the sh- take almost all the shots for Chelsea, and I did not find that um, encouraging at any point. No, it wasn't encouraging because there was an over-reliance on him. And, well, has there's been an over-reliance on Messi the last several years for the team? But I think... With the product of seeing that many shots, and especially the second half of the Valencia game, where the team gelled and it seemed like the midfield was a little more cohesive and could find more space in the attacking third, I think that's the product of Setien being able to properly position these players and properly coach them tactically through where the space is, where they should be and where they can be, and how to find that. 
that comes with the manager. What I think is different is, well, two, a year or two ago, I don't think there would have been much knowledge or much change with Valverde being able to pinpoint those things that Setien is. And I'm, I'm still hopeful for the future. It's been three games, right? Like imagine if, you know, Sarri came in and had similar results to Setien, right, at Chelsea. And you, you wouldn't be asking him to be thrown out after three games, right? That, yeah. that would be ridiculous. We went unbeaten uh, after the first 12 games, and um, it was still one of the most average teams, one of the most average seasons, and they were weirdly finishing in the top four. The, the start doesn't matter that much, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, well, yes. I mean, that, that should tell you more. I mean, those results should tell you more than anything, but like, but I mean, you're obviously very hopeful that that is, that is very obvious. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I will wait because, again, it doesn't seem like a lot has changed. It, it, it's still just three games in. But, I mean, I wouldn't be getting too encouraged from a 2-0 loss in which you actually didn't create better chances than Valencia. And one person took 90% of your shots. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying, but I'm going to pull the, it's only been three games card, which I think is a very fair argument right now. But if you come back to me at the end of the season and we haven't won a single thing, then we'll have a conversation about it. Then I think that's something to be concerned about. But until then, I'm not necessarily worried unless we go crashing out of the champions league for a third year in a row, then I might just actually just go crazy. As if, as if I haven't reached that point. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here to ground you a bit. You seem very encouraged by three games, in which I, I would say not to be super encouraged by three games. I'm encouraged because I think there's a, there's an aspect outside of just the footballing part of this team that needed improvement. I think there's a mentality, there's a, a sense of discipline that the team didn't necessarily have that. Setien would and will be able to implement going forward and I think that with time we'll see that change on the field I just don't think that three games aka two weeks is enough time really to judge him on that so like I said come back to me at the end of the season or even honestly slightly before that and then we'll have a, an honest conversation about it but for right. now we'll give him a couple right. months a couple I'll give him a couple months um do, do you have to say that that was a pretty big win for Valencia um because that puts them two points outside of fourth place now. And especially after yeah. how their season started, I mean, they're having their manager get fired very early. And, you know, obviously that week of him being fired was also very eventful um, <laughs> <laughs> for, for reasons I will not like to talk about. But, but, um, <laughs> They're now in. A, I mean, they're in a position there that they have a great chance of finishing the top four. So, um, I mean, good on, them, good on them. Good on them for for riding the ship and and um, fourth place is really up for grabs in Spain. Yeah, third and fourth are really up for grabs actually. So, you know, you've got four four points separating third to seventh. Um, Valencia's in seventh. Sevilla sitting in third. So. I mean, there's no guarantee for even a team like Atletico to finish in top four this season. They're sitting at fifth right now, two points off fourth. 
no, no. Two minutes off third. Yeah, yeah. But I was going to say, like, there is absolutely no guarantee. I think fourth place in Spain right now is the biggest toss-up when it comes to to positions in the league throughout the entirety of Europe right now. Because any one of those teams are capable of doing two things. One, playing very, very well on a one-off or even potentially consistently. And more importantly, B, absolutely shit housing an entire set of important games and ultimately ending up in seventh place right but seventh place right now still keeps you within a bird's eye view of the top four and there's a large debate going on right now in spain and as to who really might finish fourth and quite frankly i don't know if i i mean our mid midpoint evaluations if you will um we kind of gave our thoughts on who could uh, who could potentially finish fourth, and I believe I said Real Sociedad, um, and I I still might maintain that. Although Hitafe is really, I have to give a major shout out to Hitafe for for being in fourth right now and putting up an absolute fight. I think they're on thirty six points um, against pretty much all of the top dogs in La Liga. They have been seriously consistent. Um, although they have certainly had their uh, ups and downs at times, they've been short-lived. But for Hedefe to do this a second year in a row to potentially push for a Champions League spot is extremely admirable. So I did want to shout them out um, as well. But yeah, fourth fourth place is absolutely up for grabs this year. Yeah, I mean, in just about every other league in Europe other than outside of um, England, Outside of England and France, there's some really, really big competition in for the uh, Champions League places. So, yeah, exactly. But the team that I guess has not <laughs> has not really proven themselves, if you will, to be a, a current, I guess, Champions League spot contender, if you will, um, Atletico Madrid. Um, They've certainly had their host of problems, and I really feel for Cholo right now because I don't know what part of this is his fault. And I'm, and I'm very confused by what's going on there. Obviously, um, last week they were knocked out of the Copa del Rey, um, the cup tournament in Spain, very handedly. And this past weekend went on to, to tie nil-nil. Not even it's not even like they they ended up with a draw of several goals. It was really, quite frankly, boring performance. Um, even after Leganes had received a red card, um, well, granted, I guess the red card was late in the game, but Atletico Madrid just have not performed. They've consistently underperformed, in fact, and I think a part of that is actually a large part of that is because of the fact that their strikers have not been performing up to where they need to needed to have been right. We talked about how strong this athletic defense has been pretty much the entire season. And that's been relatively consistent. That's a one really consistent part of their game, but their attacking creativity has really been lackluster, especially after starting off the season really, really strongly. Jao Felix has failed to impress thus far in the last two months or so. And now I, we learned today that he'll be out of the Madrid Derby for uh, due to a, a muscle injury. So quite frankly, I'm not even sure what Atletico's front line is going to look like in the Madrid Derby this weekend. Uh, 
And I think ultimately it comes down to the performance of their front two slash three, um, really a two. But I think they need someone to step into that role. And I don't know if it's going to be Cavani. I don't know if it's going to be someone else. But they need someone to finally, for a lack of a better phrase, grab the ball by its horns and drag this team up. Because without it, they might very well fall into the Europa League spots. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I was really curious at, you know, how much, how much of a difference it's been, you know, this year to last season um, for them, at least. You know, looking at last season, one, at this point, they were in second. Um, by, by, by January 31st of, 20, of 2019, the last season, um, they were sitting in second. They had 44 points. So, you know, just about eight points more than now. But, I mean, the attacking stats are going to be are. It might surprise you a little bit, actually. So you would obviously guess that they probably scored more goals last season um, uh, through twenty-one matches, right? Uh, if you had to guess the difference, Elias, what what would you guess? Give me a, give me like a give me like a two number like a two number range, like say like like for example, like if you say like four to five goals or something like that. From this season to last season yeah. in La Liga? Yeah. If you had to guess the difference in, in goals scored through 21 matches for Atletico Madrid. I would say they've scored in the league maybe six less goals this season than last. All right, great. Yeah, so 10 goals. more. They scored 10 more. They scored 32 through this point last season. They're at 22 right now. And oh, my God. Talk, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about... I mean that that sits sixth lowest. They they scored the sixth least goals in the se- um, this season in the league. So that is that's not even insane. the most. The, that's not even the most amazing thing. If you had to guess their difference in expected goals between this season and last season, guess and and, and also guess the I guess the direction, um, positive or negative. Oh. I would okay. I do think that they're good at transitioning the ball between the back line and the midfield three, and it wavers a little bit in the final third. So I think their expected goals are a little bit less by like maybe point two. That would be my guess. This season, a little less. Yeah, they are creating. In terms of expected goals, last season they were at 28.73 through 21 matches. This season they're at 34.64. Are you serious? They're creating more chances. They're, they're, they're creating better chances. I, I'm not, not necessarily more, but they're creating better chances this season. So wow. now you think about what's the next thing. There's, there's more or less one common denominator between this season and last right and for that i have to give a big congratulations to antoine griezmann he has officially taken himself out of the running for the ewing theory because he is the only (laughs) real denominator in the attacking sense that has changed between this and last season last season their difference between goals actual goal score and expected goals they were outperforming it 
by by this point last season. This year, they are the worst team in Spain in terms of their difference between um, goals scored and expected goals. Right? They're they're twenty two goals scored, and like I said, their expected goals are at, is at thirty four point six four. Right? So there, it makes you you know obviously it's very you can see why they want an Edison Cavani to come in, right? Because they just need someone who can finish the chances that they're getting. Because they are, like you said, like I said, they're creating them. They're fourth in terms of uh, in terms of expected goals. So it's it's amazing. Like they're, they're defending numbers also better this season. Last season they were at twenty point. They were at twenty point nine five in expected goals. They're at sixteen point oh eight. They're actually better defensively this season. It, they were they're really just pretty much one very good striker from being i think really in the title race it's amazing that if it feels like if Griezmann was on the team this season they would they would probably be they could be in second they could maybe even be in first like their their actual <laughs> chance creation is better and that's what surprises me that's what surprised me the most their catch creation and their defending actually has been better this season but they may as well have uh, i don't even i don't know um they may as well have like nicholas bentner up top (laughs) that's that's basically the type of that's pretty much what these numbers are saying for them yeah I get I get the the argument, especially with the the chance creation, because I think there's if there's one game that kind of not necessarily proves it, but stands out to me, it was the last Madrid derby where I think they had the better chances. At the end of the day, oh, they the were the better game, team. Yeah, they were the they better were, yeah. team for 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 most of that game. Exactly, and, and the were, game and still ended nil nil. Yeah, and they were the better and against Barcelona as well. They were the better team for. What's I mean. 90% of, of that game, like for, for like oh, yeah. 70 to 80 minutes of that game. And the difference again was Lionel Messi. And that was it. And that was it. They, and they don't, and that was, that's what they're missing. And, and I suppose if you want to be really harsh, you could be, Oh, well that's, well, what did they get Jao Felix for? But I mean, you can't expect that from someone who's just turned 20 and is playing his first season um, in Spain. Right. So, it's really like they're just one decent. They were one like not decent. Right? They were pretty much one very good finisher away from for this season away from being legit title contenders. Agreed, a hundred percent. I think that if they had João Felix performing to the levels that he did last season in Portugal, or I guess their version of Antoine Griezmann, which I think they expected João Felix to be this season then they would certainly be in the title race, which is where a lot of people expected them to be at the start of the season. But there is still a lot of league left to go. Uh, I will say that. And a lot of things can change, especially around the Champions League time. And so I i don't think anyone's ruling them out, per se. But if this stretch of games continues where they consistently underperform, then I think it's, starting, it's time to take a very hard look at Atleti, especially in the league, and I'd be very concerned for them coming up in their Champions League tie against arguably the, not arguably, the, the best team in the world. So 
they have a lot of thinking to do. But yeah. I mean, we'll talk when, when we get closer to the Champions League. We'll talk more about that actual matchup. But you know, you look at it right now, and you just can't see any way that they're going to be able to score enough to to win that game, to win that tie. Really? Yeah, and I'm excited for what Atletico's defensive structure is going to end up looking like. And I'm very, I'm even more interested to see a Trippier Mosala foot race um, <laughs> for large portions of what I expect to be in the, uh, the Anfield uh, portion of the tie. So we'll, uh, we'll leave the Atletico discussion for a later day when they inevitably will have to answer these questions. But we'll go ahead and turn a little bit more focus towards one of the, the bigger news pieces this weekend in Spain, and certainly not a positive one, unfortunately, but there is, in a way, kind of a, a positive silver lining at the end of the story. And I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, but Rihanna and I were talking, um, a couple, I guess yesterday or a couple days ago about, um, this, this specific incident of racial abuse. Um, and so a lot of people may not, um, be familiar with La Liga, with the teams there, but Espanol is in Barcelona. They're a direct rival of football club Barcelona. Um, and so, and Yaki Williams, um, who plays for Athletic Bilbao, um, who were playing Espanol in Barcelona, was substituted off in the second half of this game. And he was substituted off instead of going directly towards you know the sidelines. He he walked off by the the goal because there was a corner being taken. So in order to not disrupt play, he stepped off the field, started walking around the corner flag, and there's a video of him walking around the corner flag where I believe, I think it was Munayin for Bilbao was taking a corner and he kind of picks his head up and he, he clearly wasn't focused on the game. And so he starts looking around, he starts looking into the crowd and you can very distinctly see him on, uh, on the video kind of saying, you know, hijo de puta, which is essentially like son of a bitch, right. In Spanish. And so he gets back to the touchline. He gets back to the bench and he sits down and he says, Someone asks him, you know, what happened? Uh, you know, what, what's wrong? And he just he just starts making monkey noises, you know, to, as if to say, monkey chants were made at me. And so the game was wasn't suspended. The game continued, and the final whistle blew. And Munayin, who was taking the corner uh, at the time, went over to inform the referee after the game had ended. And so. According to reports and, and various sources, uh, the referee's response to that sort of was, well, I, I wasn't aware of this. this. This was not something that was made clear to me. And so that kind of left a lot of people thinking, well, why wasn't there you know, a way to make him, the referee, aware of what happened? Fast forward a couple of days. Now we know who the supporters were. Twelve of those supporters were banned from Espanol, some of them tickets, season ticket holders for life. Um, so that is kind of the positive spin on it as well. But even more so, I think I do want to credit, and I don't do this often, the Spanish league and Javier Tebas, the, the president of the Spanish uh, Spanish league, for the way that they handled this in a way. Because when this was handled, especially in other cases, um, Spurs, Chelsea, um, you know, various cases in Italy, there seems to be almost a, a direct 
negligence, if you will, of kind of the topic and the discussion of almost to say, well, uh, we don't know what happened. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. And we'll just, you know, ban the supporters or something and move on. But what the Spanish league actually did here was they took a look at what the situation was and they kind of made it public that it might actually be time for the protocol in which the referees informed in which the referees allowed to take decisions on cases of racial abuse, um, to, to kind of change and evolve. And that was a relatively progressive decision um, or statement to be made for a league that has certainly had its problems with not necessarily racial abuse, but, you know, very rigid conservative protocols. And so the, I, th- I think the idea of opening up to amending rules to fit what the current status of the game is like, what players are looking for, I think is a very, very positive way of looking at handling this situation. So I did want to point that out while this did happen. I think that, I think that this is something that a lot of other leagues can look at to, to kind of take a model from. So TLDR, that's my, that's my Ted talk. Wow. I know that. I mean, that was, that was good. I mean, it's, I don't know what else. I don't have much else to add other than what we said during the um, after the Rudiger incident um, in Chelsea and Tottenham game a few months ago. But you know, um, it was interesting to hear how how they kind of handled it differently. You know, within the stadium, I imagine there weren't there was nothing said during the game, so that that also. Um, it's what's very odd to me because that. So with the Rudiger, with the Rudiger incident um, in England, you know, the players I think before the season in England were told, you know, to let referee on the pitch know as soon as anything happens like that, right? And so the, the fact that this wasn't the same procedure or something similar to this did not happen during this game kind of shows either one of two things, you know, some um, naivety by, by the Spanish FA, right. In the, in not coming up with some sort of uh, procedure for this or a much worse thing is, I guess, ignorance towards it. So, yeah, you know that that's that's what's a little worrying. I mean, you obviously hope it's not the latter, but ultimately, you know, both options that that could explain what happened here or why it did not um, happen in the same way as in England is not a not a great advertisement for football in Spain. No, I agree with you. Um, I think that it certainly has been a problem, um, especially surrounding incidents like this. Uh, granted, there was another uh, incident related to hate speech or I think it was anti-Semitism, something like that, and maybe the second division recently, um, where there was a whole mishap with the referee, you know, calling you know, announcements in the stadium and then eventually deciding to call off the game and et cetera. But this is, in my opinion, kind of the first step in the right direction to say that a protocol in which 
the the referee is not necessarily given all the information um, or in a situation where he's not given all the information, um, how can we go ahead and, and deliver a just punishment for something like this and come to the appropriate, the appropriate decision on it? And I think the ability and the idea for the Spanish league to actually say, okay, we, we might be looking into amending how this works because clearly right now if something isn't working, then we need to fix it. Um, I think that's an important step in the right direction for a league that has certainly not done that all the time in the past. No, absolutely. I mean, again, yeah, I, I think your point on, on how do they actually punish people if you don't, if it wasn't handled, you know, in a organized way in the first place, right? That that's a that's a great point. I mean, how do they actually try to figure out what happened? I mean, obviously, there's always a lot of cameras around, and and um, they can if they want to really go back and look at it, right? But you know, without kind of the attention being brought to everyone else in the in the stadium and, you know, the people on the pitch and stuff, it's, it's, it is going to be harder to find the right way to, to deal with them. Yeah. And there is no perfect system at the same time. Um, and it certainly will be harder. I get what you're saying. Um, but as long as the effort is kind of genuine. And I think that if you have the support of, the players, especially with situations like this, then I think you're making the step in the right direction. But it is it is a long road to getting to the the correct uh, the correct solution, if you will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but with that, we can go ahead and close out the La Liga section here. The one thing that I will shout out at the end here, um, I do want to shout out Jimmy Jimmy Avila. Asasuna's top goal scorer with nine goals on the season. He um, he unfortunately tore his ACL at, uh, I believe it was last weekend's games. And of course, given an ACL injury, will be out the rest of the season. But he was one of the standout players in La Liga this season and was really on the way to keeping Asasuna in a, in a very good position um, kind of the rest of the way, especially for a team that was just promoted. But it's tough. It's tough when your top striker is is injured like that. And so uh, I wish them the best of luck the rest of the way, um, just not necessarily against Barcelona. But Jimmy Avila, good luck on your recovery and, uh, and hope you're back in La Liga next season as well. So with that, we can go ahead and uh, close out the La Liga section. We'll be moving on to a couple of very interesting news items in England. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking a little bit more about England on our end and switching over to the Premier League side of things. First game of the weekend is two teams that really need points, specifically three points, and that is Leicester-Chelsea, two teams that have been fighting for a top-four spot the entire season. But, Rian, in your non-biased, completely objective opinion – who, in your opinion, actually needs a result more? Okay, so the obvious answer would uh, would be to say Chelsea. Um, 
And I would ultimately probably say Chelsea does need the result more seeing that they're surface level eight points off of Leicester, um, six points off of Manchester United and Tottenham and, and Wolves actually, there are three teams all sitting on 34 points, but two of them are playing each other this weekend and, and Tottenham goes or uh, hosts Manchester city this weekend. So just to zag a little bit, I'll, I'll say, I think, Leicester needs at least to not lose. Um, I think a bit more. Uh, I think because of the of the teams that are behind Chelsea, um, who are all like I said on thirty four points, because of the nature of their matches this weekend, I, I think a draw would not be would be fine for Chelsea. I think even. A loss would suck, obviously, but um, and and it would damage it, it would damage their position in terms of the uh, the advantage that they have potentially. But if you look at it, unless we think Tottenham's going to go and get three points at the Etihad, um, it, it's the most likely uh, they're not going to be that much worse off this weekend, um, especially because, like I said, you have Manchester United and Wolves playing each other. And, you know, if that ends in a draw or, you know, whatever, then at worst, um, a team is three points off of them. But I would say, Lester, just say, again, since beating Arsenal 2-0 on, on it was uh, November 9th for us, and, and they deservedly be Arsenal. And that was one of, um, yeah, obviously their result, one of their results of the season, but that was still Unai Emery's Arsenal. So, um, you have to take that result with a grain of salt. But since that time, they failed to beat a single team in the top half of the table. And granted, yes, they had the only teams since then that, that are in the top half of the table at, were, um, Manchester city and Liverpool in that span. But, also during that span, they lost to Burnley. They lost to Southampton, who I, we talked about that match again—a team that they'd beaten nine 0 earlier in the earlier in the season—and um, they failed to beat Norwich in December. So, I think we talked about the fact that these two teams have fallen off pretty heavily since. Um, basically since let's say mid November um, or maybe beginning of November. So it's a battle of two teams that are really struggling to find some consistency. And um, some teams are starting to figure them out in terms of how they play. And the deficiencies are becoming more exposed on both sides. You know, Lester's next three games are massive. They have Chelsea here and they play wolves the week after that. And they play Manchester city. So, three teams comfortably in the top half of the table. Um, and the, you know, those are the teams that they've had trouble with, you know, the last couple of months here on Chelsea's side though, you know, they definitely need to find a way not to lose, especially with the likely injuries that they're going to have this weekend, most likely without Tammy Abraham, um, Christian Pulisic still coming back from um, from his thigh injury. He should be coming back mid-February um, or possibly the match after this one. And 
they may also be out, be without Reese James. And so they're going to find themselves in a tough position in terms of teams that are starting. But just to carry on with what we were doing in the first half of this episode, looking back at how teams are faring at this point of the season compared to last on Chelsea's side, it's, it's all better than last season. It's all, it's all better attacking wise, at least. Right. Um, their underlying numbers are just much better this season compared to the 2018, 19 season. They've scored only one more goal, but at the same time, in terms of expected goals, their advantage is almost plus 10 um, compared to last season. Right. And, you know, they're getting the ball in deeper positions. They're, they're not completing as many passes. Uh, actually, sorry, they're completing more passes in within the final third than they did last season, which I would have never guessed because last season that's pretty much all they did in the final third was pass. But you know, we're, we're seeing attacking wise, they're a much better team, and we know the deficiencies have been they just have a hard time finishing chances, uh, and and they don't. Outside of their strikers, they don't have clinical finishers, basically. Um, and that outside of their basically one striker, they don't have clinical finishers, really. Um, I would say, though, their defensive numbers are definitively worse. At least, and that is may or may not be definitively. definitively worse. Definitively worse, which doesn't really help the whole... Um, the the goalkeepers to blame for the goals being given up <laughs> argument here right they they have conceded more goals absolutely absolutely but they are also conceding better chances this season and i think a lot of that comes with the fact that last season under sorry you know their possession was more uh, safe passing, right? Uh, they didn't create. Yeah, they didn't create. They, they were There wasn't a lot of. There wasn't a lot of risky balls being played in that team last season, um, because that's just not what they were told to do. So, you you definitely say that 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 part of this is the fact that they're in transition. They're they're worst team defensively this year, but. That leads to high quality chances that they're giving up. And that's the real crux of the problem that they don't necessarily give up a lot of shots, right? But the shots that they give up are, for the most part, either like we saw in the Arsenal game, oh, just straight one on one, just a straight one on one after your midfielder. Um, just slips in the middle of the pitch, right? And and leaves him one on one, leaves the striker one on one with your keeper. Or um we saw obviously saw early in the season they were conceding, you know, almost regularly from set pieces, which were almost which were pretty much always like within like six yards of the goal. So that's really their problem is the type of chances they've been um conceding this season as compared to last. And you know, their next three games are also massive. They play Leicester and then and then they play United, and then they play Tottenham. And I mean, I, the, a fourth place in England this season is gonna go to the team that I think can put together like three weeks of consistency in the second half of the season. Like, 
the Chelsea are only Chelsea and Leicester are in this spot because they put together basically two, two and a half. For Leicester, maybe two and a half to three months. Chelsea, pretty much two months of like consistency in terms of performances and results. And that's what has really separated them from fifth, sixth, and seventh. You know, United and Tottenham haven't been able to put together consistently positive results. They've put together consistently negative results, but they haven't been able to put together consistently positive results for more than uh, more for more than basically two weeks. So um, it's a big game for both of them. And, and, and like to go back to the question, it, it's very hard to say who needs it more um, because it feels like they are like they're, they're pretty fragile teams at the moment. So if I had to sum up the TLDR Lester, but also Chelsea is the answer to your question. <laughs> uh, yes, I sit firmly on the fence. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I'm going to say ultimately, I think Lester, because as biased as it probably is, and it's hard not to seem biased, I still think talent-wise that Chelsea's a better team, and I th- and I feel that Lester's a bit more of a fragile, uh, bit more of a fragile situation in terms of things can go wrong, and not, I mean, in terms of like a few results, really. Um, in these next few next few weeks, where they're going to be coming up against very tough defensive team, the t- tough teams defensively. Outs- you know, even Man City is going to have L- Laporte back. He has been starting the last couple of games. He's back there. They're no longer they're no longer just going out into the streets of Manchester and looking for anyone who can like somewhat stand in the middle of the pitch um, and near the goal anymore. Right. So they don't need to do that. So there's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Which they will find almost no one in Manchester. Um, <laughs> exactly. That looks. That looks <laughs> they'll find like maybe a couple of people, and and one of them would be like Jesse Lingard. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would be able to put goals in his own net at least. So <laughs> that this is true. Yeah. Anyway, but that is that is a very fair. You make some very good points. Um, if I had to give my brief opinion on it, I I would actually disagree and go with Chelsea um, for the obvious reasons. Uh, you know, obviously the obvious reasons. Um, but it's interesting that you do point out Leicester. They they do have a weakness in their depth um, within the kind of the front three, if you will, is extremely lackluster. And I think I don't think that'll come to bite them, but I think that not having that ability to to kind of to they have a tendency sometimes to be predictable is what i'm saying and without the ability to change that i think things get a little bit difficult against teams that are very hard to defensively break down which is i think what you kind of saw against burnley and in that game but i'm still going to go with chelsea almost solely because of the points issue and the the risk is higher for them so Chelsea, you better get three points this weekend. And not that I'm rooting for you. Don't don't misconstrue that. I don't want you to get don't confused. Don't even three points. The, a draw would be totally fine considering the other team's matches. Yeah. Yeah, that's also pretty valid. <laughs> but I would like way, to point out, I would like to point out for Leicester, 
they their numbers compared to last season defensively at least are cons- are worse they're worse this season so you know what come on down harry Maguire. you have also took yourself out of the ewing theory running because as we are about to get on to with manchester united their defensive numbers are much better this season compared to um this point last you at one point called Manchester United the best defensive team in England. Do you still think that's the case going up against a Wolves side that I guess hasn't hasn't really performed to where we wanted them to, but have still been a, a solid mid-table team, if you will? I I still think that defensively they are one of the most solid teams in the league. I, I think. That is by design, though. That, I don't think that's necessarily out of talent. I think that's. I think that's because we've talked about this before. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer only really knows doesn't know how to make his team attack. Like even when he had Pogba in the team, I, I know we're, we're giving. I know he's been given, or some people are trying to give cut him some slack this season because, granted he is being forced to play Jesse Lingard um, more than any human should. And he has to deal with like Matic and Fred as his midfield sometimes. Right. But even to the end of last season, when he had Pogba and all those and, and a full strength team, they were pretty horrible at creating chances then too. So I would say defensively is not their problem. We we I'm we're, we know that we know that, but you're right. Um, Wolves, I would disagree with you that they haven't performed to the level that we expected. Um, like I said, there's still there's six points off of fourth. Um, you picked them to be in the top six. I I picked them to be seventh. They are tied for on points with um, Manchester United and Tottenham, who sit in fifth and sixth. So they still have a very good chance of finishing um, in the top six. And, and I would, and you know, I would honestly bet on them probably finishing above one of those two teams. But the the thing about them, um, I have a couple things about Wolves, which I just, I just love. I love this team so much. There's, there's so much, so much good content around them. Um, their numbers from 2018, 19 season, up to this point compared to um, where we are right now in the 1920 season are very similar to last season. Uh, just about everything is pretty similar. They're uh, about one point worse. Their, uh, their expected goal, their chance creation is a bit better um, this season in terms of expected goals. Their defending's slightly worse, but most of the numbers are, are pretty similar to last season. I think that's a big testament to their consistency and an obvious identity that the team has here, right? Especially looking at around the league from last season to this, how many teams can we say have been uh, consistent from season to season in terms of um, last season to this season? Maybe, maybe three, um, definitely Liverpool, but you could, you could, I mean, Liverpool was great last season. So, so Liverpool, um, I would say Wolves just based on, uh, with their points total and, and, and those things I was just describing, uh, Manchester city, 
actually fairly similar. I mean, they're they're obviously worse off on points this season there by by just five points though. I mean, the only difference is that Liverpool are have not lost a game. Um, so when we look at that, there's about three teams in the league that have shown consistency from season to season uh, in these last two seasons, and I think you have to give. Wolves players and obviously we, we talk we talk a lot about Nuno and, and how great he is um, you have to give them a lot of credit for, for even if they don't finish in the in the top six even if they don't finish top four you know they look they are consistent week to week they look they know exactly what they want to do they know exactly how to implement it and you know it, it's not going to work against some of the best teams a lot of the time Um that's where they kind of slip up from time to time. And, and, and for the teams that are really just sitting back on them, it, it, that they'll have a hard time too. But in this season, uh, if you could be just consistent in terms of your playing style, that, that was, that's really been the big difference and what kind of sets them apart from the teams um, sitting in like the ninth, 10th, 11th, you know, in the lower mid table and, and um, even lower in the table. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I do think that with the addition of an, another striker too, that's, that's something that we certainly should point out. They have the players and the team structure to go ahead and push for top six. And I still maintain that I think they'll finish six, but I'm more worried about their performances from not necessarily a footballing perspective, but from a purely results perspective, because there have been times where I fully have thought they would get three points or even a point. And in in some one weird way or another kind of end up throwing it away. And I think it's those type of moments that make me doubt whether or not they would finish top six. Ultimately, I still think, like I said, they have the quality to. But at the end of the day, it's still it's still concerning, right? Like there there have been, and I don't know the statistics on this, and I would love to see it. How many games that they have dropped points in in the last twenty minutes of a game, and even more so, there have been times where they've thrown a, not thrown away, but let a, a game get away from them in the earlier middle parts of the of the game and which they couldn't pick up at the end of the game, right? And even Adama Traore couldn't pick up. And so that's the part that kind of concerns me. So for their their matchup against Manchester United this weekend, I'm really looking for, for them to be consistent within the game and play up to the standard that they can. Because I believe I believe they're playing at Old Trafford, correct? I, I'm pretty confident they are. I'm not 100% sure. Yes, yeah, they're at they're Old Trafford. Right, so a, a stadium that... United is still shockingly very difficult to beat. Um, they're going to need to be that consistent across the entire entire match, and so that's what I'm looking for from them this weekend. Right, I mean, and we saw in the reverse fixture early um, early in the season, Wolves. Um, this was a one 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 game, and um, that was actually a game that Pogba started in. Uh, it honestly, might be the last time I remember him starting for United, but uh, I, I I do. You brought up Adama Traore, and I'm glad that you did, um, because he, along with Raul Jimenez, have been some of the have been two of the most um, exciting performers this season. And personally, 
for me, Raul Jimenez has been probably one of my five or six favorite players this season. Um, and I think he's been one of the probably top, I'd say top 15 to 20 players in the season, in the, in England this year. Um, he's sitting on 11 goals and six assists right now. Right. Um, and he's saying fourth in expected goals plus expected assists per 90 for, for forwards and third in expected assists per 90 for forwards and first in, in expected assists overall. Um, assists per 90, sorry. He's one of the most complete forwards in Europe, in my opinion. I, I, he, if you just, I don't know if enough people get to watch him play, but when Wolves are on for in the US when they're on NBC at all. I mean, people should really take the time to watch him. I mean, obviously Adama Troy is a, is a wonderful player to watch. Now he's a much more wonderful player to watch now that it now that it seems like um he knows what he's going to do with the ball more when he when he gets to the um when he gets past players and stuff. And and you saw in the Liverpool game, he and uh, Jimenez were causing so much trouble for for Liverpool. Like their goal, the goal that Jimenez scores, the one two that he plays with with Traore is just wonderful. His hold up play is so beautiful, and I I don't know if enough people recognize it. And and I I don't know. I haven't heard any sort of rumors about him leaving in the summer or anything. But he's a forward that I think any team would die to have like in, in terms of all his all-around game any team should be dying to have a Raul Jimenez on it um in their lineup no I agree with you I think that's why Mexico rates their forwards so highly um and of course Raul Jimenez being one of them um but I think quite honestly he would be the perfect perfect striker for Atletico and I'm, I'm not saying that just because I think he's a good striker that an Atletico need a good striker. I think he's the perfect. Atletico fit. loves just having Mexican players here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I genuinely think that his hold up play, his style of using his physicality right to to his utmost advantage, is exactly how Atletico play. And so, if if you're a scout listening to this podcast for Atletico Madrid, I may not speak Spanish. But take a look at him. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think you're totally right. I think he would be a great addition for. I mean, and he would take a lot of pressure off of um, Jao Felix as well because they wouldn't be overly reliant on him to create chances because Jimenez can is like like I said, great hold up play and 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 you know. He's sitting on the same, you know, number of goals and assists combined as Sadio Mane. But when you think about the players that are around Raul Jimenez, like, it's he's not passing the ball off to Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino, right? Um, Adama Torre is, is not scoring goals, right? He's not he's not the goal scorer in the team. Right? So you think about the getting to six assists. That means he's supplying. Most of the time, a very, very good, um, very well placed pass, right? It's not, it's not a pass. This, although maybe a couple of them may be were passes to um, Ruben Neves, who just loves to curl one from like twenty to twenty three yards out. But, <laughs> but, but you know, it, it. You look at the team that he's in. 
and it's just like the chances that he's creating have to be taken, I think, more seriously, for lack of a better term, more seriously, because they're definitely harder position chances that he creates. And um, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think he'd fit perfectly with, with Atletico. And, and, I, and I think he'd fit perfectly with almost any team in Europe. No, agreed. Agreed. Um, very interested to see how this game goes for him um, at Old Trafford of all places. But there is another game that um, that we call the game of the weekend, if you will. Oh, wait, in, whoa, whoa. we got we got to mention a, a little bit Bruno Fernandez. Just you know, his, oh my god, his transfer, his transfer was completed to Manchester United today. Um, I think we were both talking during the break whether we think he'll play this weekend. Um, I'm. I think we both don't think he actually will start. At least, um, no. But we could see him on the bench because you know he's match fit. At least it's not like this is not like a summer, a late summer signing or something like that, right? So, um, no, I talked about it earlier that their problem, the problem with United is is just the the chances they've scored twelve fewer goals at this point of the season compared to last, and um, obviously creating far fewer high-quality chances. Bruno Fernandes will have to come in and basically be messy for their attack to, to for things to significantly improve, improve um, attacking-wise. Okay. No one can be messy, so we'll just leave it at that. But, yes, I, I agree or with Pogba, you. Or Pogba has to come back. Or Pogba has to come back and immediately immediately be the player he was for those like seven weeks of uh Ole Gunner's like beginning of his reign yeah if he is that player then yeah maybe that him and Bruno can kind of gel together but I, I just don't know what to expect I quite frankly don't know a lot about him as a player what I have seen as limited as it is is that he has been a very fine midfielder for um, uh, was it? Uh, oh my God, Benfica! Uh, that no, no, sporting, or, sporting, sporting. No, 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 sport for sporting for sporting. Right. Uh, sporting Lisbon. I mean, not, not fine. I mean, you can't deny his numbers. Uh, he hit, um, I believe, thirty and fifteen assists last or last season in all competitions. Um, so, so he, he obviously is a good player we can be as suspect as we want about what we think of the Portuguese uh, domestic league, but you know, he's probably not a slouch, but again, we're at a position here where another seemingly good player is going to Manchester United. And do we have, yeah, do we exactly? Do we have any reason to think that he's going to push on in his career now? So that's the big question. Yeah, that's a question that I think we'll see answered very soon. Um, and I don't know if many people will like that answer. But, yeah, I I don't know. I genuinely just don't know what to expect from Bruno Fernandes. Like, I, I don't have any expectations. I don't. We've seen so many people go to Manchester United and have their careers tank um, in the last five years or so. And so, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. That's that's my honest opinion. I just don't know what to, what to expect. So, um yeah do you want to go ahead and move on to um to spurs city or should i say pep Mourinho? yeah it's this is this is the marquee matchup of the weekend in in england here um 
they have Pep and Mourinho facing off again. And uh, once again, this time Mourinho's on a different team. Um, it, you know, no, I feel like I know what to expect in this game, right? Um, we know which team, we know which is a much better team overall. Um, I think, of course, Tottenham. Of course, of course. I mean, <laughs> I mean and and guess what? guess what? They're playing at home, right? I mean, if we watched the last two Tottenham games, at least that I that I watched fully of them being at home. They played like uh, basically Burnley against Liverpool, which what? Okay. Um, people be like oh how what what else can what else is there to do against liverpool right how about watch wolves watch how wolves played against liverpool like you don't have to just bend over and concede possession and not create anything for until until you realize that oh shit um, maybe we should actually start attacking and throw everyone forward right right and 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 it's not, and they played the same way against Chelsea, who's not Liverpool. I can tell you that firsthand. They played the same way against Chelsea, and and deservedly lost that game at home. So they're playing maybe without any confidence, and I don't know the the players maybe aren't good enough. And I and we've been over that too, but. I get, there are ways there are different ways to play against these teams right um so i i'm most looking forward to um I'm, i imagine we're not going to see their newest signing uh bergwin from from psv uh, from psv i know yeah, can we can we what was that signing genuinely like what was the purpose of that um i'm not, i Kane is most likely out until maybe the last month or so of the season. Um, their options up top are basically non-existent, but this player is not, but Bergman's not even a striker. So I suppose they will be going a lot of false nines for the rest of the season, which. Yeah. That's again, yeah. Way, so. Yeah. I mean, he, he usually does that out of like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to stop the other team, and I don't. I guess I just happened to play uh, Hazard as a false nine here, like or something like that, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how they're going to attack outside of just counters. Um, so that is just. I think it's going to be tough for them to score goals for the rest of the season, but. Um, I'm excited to see Manchester City with, again, like I said, Laporte is back. They'll have him for the rest of the season. I remember saying to you, saying in an episode, you know, if they could just get through the next few months without Laporte and be within like seven or eight points of Liverpool, then, you know, they'll have, they'll still have a good chance of like, of still winning the league. And they just did not stay close. (laughs) I mean, credit to, to, I mean, a lot of credit to Liverpool on that end, really. Like, I mean, again, they've won 23 games and only drawn one. So that's more of a credit to Liverpool than I think a slight to Manchester City. But they have been, um, they have been worse defensively. So they haven't been like astronomically bad in, in terms of defending. They're sitting third in terms of expected goals allowed, but 
you know, it, the, the margins, the margin for error just became non-existent, non-existent with this Liverpool team. So the exciting thing going forward for Manchester City is how this impacts their Champions League um, chances. And, and that's obviously something we'll talk more about um, in a couple of weeks as, as the Champions League comes back. Yeah, absolutely. But for this game specifically, do you, who would you pick to win this game? Oh, I mean, I, I'm obviously going to pick Manchester City to win because because they can actually like attack very well, <laughs> and and um, Spurs as have shown have not shown in just about any of their games at home um, against Mourinho or with Mourinho against at least a team with the similar with similar talent. They have not shown they've been able to actually keep the ball. And, and and decently create chances um, during like the normal flow of a game. So yeah, I see. Um, I see nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that assessment. <laughs> I'm going to 100 percent agree with you. I fully expect City to win, and I don't know if they'll win comfortably because I think Spurs have gotten a little bit better on the counter, um, and they have the pace to beat City on the wings. Quite frankly, um, so. Uh, I'm going to say City win, not extremely comfortably, but with relative ease. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And um, if they do put up a fight, they'll, they'll, the Spurs, that is, then uh, congratulations, Mourinho. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, and it could be, there's always a chance this could be a classic, you know, type of City game that we've seen this season where they create a bunch of chances. Uh, they maybe they score probably one, maybe two of them, and then we're in the last ten minutes, and it's like, and they're kind of holding on just because just because they didn't put the game away, right? So, I mean, there's always there's always a possibility of that, but um, I think they're just gonna create be able to have the ball for. I think they might have the ball legit for like seventy five like seventy five percent possession. I could like that. I could easily see happening in this game. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that, especially because it's at the Etihad. It's, well, in not a very famous stadium by me. I don't know why. I said that like it had like a significant impact. On oh, no, no, this, one, this, one's, this one's at Tottenham. Remember, the game at oh, the yeah. Etihad was, was the uh, Gabriel Jesus uh, no goal at the end with the VAR, with, where, the, oh. where, the bullshit, where the VAR bullshit really began on the... On the um, handball in the box before Gabriel Jesus scored what was going to be the winner after again City had dominated that game for the entirety of it actually yeah yeah um thank you for reminding me of that because uh even more reason for this uh, to be a relatively simple Manchester City win <laughs> yeah I think I see the same yeah. So we expect City to win. Most people would expect City to win, but who knows what a Pep Mourinho kind of game is going to bring us. But with that, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion for today, talking a little La Liga, of course, in the beginning and now transitioning to, like I said before, the second best league in the world. So with that, Rian, any more closing thoughts? Um, no, no, nothing else. And, um, fortunately got, got hit with more Kobe Bryant stuff today. I was listening to, um, to some 
Philly Sports Radio, and the whole show was um, uh, from a yep episode from I think yesterday or two days before, and the whole show was just stories from people in Philadelphia, people that went to Lower Marion with him and stuff about Kobe, and so, and, and then oh, wow. and then I got and then I got hit with that with the video from the end of the Super Bowl um, with him and and it was his um, second youngest daughter. And you know the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, and he's jumping, and he's like jumping around with her in his arms, like fist pumping and yelling, like, and just yelling like, yes and all this stuff, and it just killed me. But um, sorry to end on on a, on a more depressing note there, but um, but yeah, no, no, yeah, that's that's totally fair. I mean, I was talking to a lot of people today about how we grew up around him physically, right? Like he went to Lower Marion, he you know, wasn't really that far away, obviously had an incredible impact on, um, the Sixers, um, early on, especially with the whole AI being taken in the, in the draft and everything first, um, and seeing, yeah, seeing those scenes from the Super Bowl and that, that video with his youngest daughter, incredible, just incredible stuff. Yeah. Well, with that, I'm looking forward to another great weekend of, of football. Um, I believe we will be watching the at the Madrid derby together this weekend, and I yes, I can't wait to recap that next week. Yep, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Madrid derby after uh, me, Rian, our friend Peter, hopefully go and uh, go and watch it this Saturday. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, see you next time. Thanks, guys.